All right, we're back. The Bearded Journey Runner podcast. It's been a while. Um, I've got my buddy here, Chris Caravello. Um, I think I said that right. Absolutely. Awesome. Good point, um, sitting over here in Alice Beach. It would be amazing. We were just discussing if we had a video of the spot we're in right now. It's it's pretty sick. It's pretty gnarly. Alice in Wonderland, uh, somewhere in Morocco. I don't know. I wish you guys could see it, though, because this is uh, pretty scenic. If it was super cool, cold out, we'd be able to have this fire in this fire pit yeah, right we're here, sitting too. right next to the fire pit. Sweet. All right, man. Well, I want to discuss. Um, you just finished... Georgia death race last weekend, a month prior from DNFing at the Moab 240, um, along with inside that month having some some uh, personal uh, journey areas, um, I guess I, you can call them, and uh, just tell me... Chris is a well-developed ultra runner that I met two, three years ago, two years ago now? Like, yeah, two or three years two, ago. Two, three years ago that we actually met. Chris and I, we've, we go back actually all the way into high school. Um, we've played sports uh, not on the same team, but against each other. Our fathers knew each other um, through military and just kind of fought funny on how the universe just circles around and puts two bearded <laughs> tatted yeah. up dudes just together and uh chris has a little bit more tattoos than i do but i aspire to get there um <laughs> just like i aspire to get to the finish line of the georgia death race um first off let's back it on up you get a call or an email um to be able to for the Georgia death race. Yep. And um, this is a race that had been postponed due to COVID. Um, November 7th was the date. And you get this email two months before the race. I think it was closer to three, like okay. maybe three on the dot. Okay. Uh, I think it was sometime in August. I got the email saying, congratulations, you've been invited to the Georgia death race. That was in the subject line. That's amazing. In the spam box, not the regular inbox, the spam box. So thankfully, I actually, you know, it's probably the, the word death was in the um, subject line. <laughs> so it just kind of jumped. Because I usually just click empty spam, you know, yeah. and then that's it. It's, it's gone forever. But needless to say, my uh, heart jumped into my throat when I saw that email. Sweet. Um, you had been running these virtual runs throughout the summer, um, earlier this year, uh, we had attempted to go the full calendar month, uh, (laughs) running every single day. You actually knocked off the most miles each month for four straight months. You were running, um, this high, like high 200 plus mileage, which Chris usually runs ultra to ultra and that like kind of you yeah get prepared for races to train for what's next yeah so him actually working on a training regimen is typically not in his cards complete badass so we 
fast forward back up to where we just were. Now we're three months out. We go do the Rebecca 50, which yes. is eight weeks exactly from the Georgia death race. To the uh, day. To the I day. So, yeah. yeah. We, uh, we scramble through that one, make it out alive. Um, and I believe 13, 13, 13 hours. 33, I think. It was 13, like all threes, yeah. yeah. Um, which we were thankful for that. I don't think we were ready. Actually, no. we knew we weren't ready, and we even told ourselves, we have eight weeks to train to get prepared for the Georgia death race. Now, was it a week before Moab? You get an email saying... Eight days. Eight days. Hey, dude. You're in the Moab 240. You want in? And Chris goes, hell the fuck yeah. <laughs> Click. I remember getting the phone call from him going, dude, I just got in. Walk me through on how, like, the process to get ready now. You're trying to put together a crew. I wasn't able to go, so. Yeah. Did you get a crew to no. be able to go? No crew out no there. No crew, no pacer, totally solo. Did you have the gear? No, hell no. I was so unprepared and uh, I spent, I probably spent as much on shipping costs, overnighting everything to me <laughs> than the gear itself. I mean, not to say I don't have ultra gear or the right, you know, the right stuff to do a hundred miler is all of a sudden not enough to do a 240 miler. Um, and West and, Coast too. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's funny how you, you mentioned Rebecca. That was like hotter than it should have been. Mm. Georgia Death Race last weekend, hotter than it should have been. Mm -hmm. Well, it just so happens the Moab 240 this year in 2020 was hotter than it ever had been before. So you didn't have the snow or extremely low temps. I mean, there were people that finished that didn't even wear gloves the entire time. Dude. So it was a lot of unnecessary prep and gear um, for, for weather conditions that never materialized, meaning, you know, I, I spent a lot more than I probably should have. And, you know, the first 72 miles of that race, you don't have a, a way to drop off gear. You're not seeing your crew. You don't have a drop bag. So I had to carry what I left the start line with. And, um, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I bought for that race that I ended up not using. How much did that pack weigh? 20 pounds when 20 I started. pounds when he started. Yeah, I did. I got the ultimate direction. I think it was the, the 25 or the 30. Um, it's, it's a big pack, man, compared to the what I usually use, the mountain vest. Um, so needless to say, uh, you know, last week when we are talking about our packs, you know, it felt like next to nothing yeah. compared to what you're wearing a feather last week. Yeah, yeah. But, um, man, you mentioned uh, how I felt when I got that email. It was definitely, you know, I'm the kind of guy where if you if you invite me to something or you say I'm in, I'm in. You know, I don't have, and maybe this is a character flaw, or, you know, my uh, prior, uh, you know, um, addictions notwithstanding is I just, I cannot turn that down. I can't turn away from it. So as soon as Candace sent me the email saying I'm invited to the Moab 240, it was like, well, I'm going, so I might as well start scrambling to see if I can get some people to, to help me out and get through this because I know people that have finished it, and they all had a crew. They all had a vehicle to sleep in, and that ended up being kind of my downfall is, is, is not taking that part into account, the sleep sleep schedule. Sleep deprivation, so, man. 
you know, I tried, man. You know, I, was, I offered to fly you out there. There were yeah. several people where I was like, you know, hey, do you want an all-expenses trip out to Moab, Utah? All you got to do is, um, you know, sleep in the car for a few days and, and drive a thousand miles between the aid stations. But, uh, you know, it didn't happen. I totally understand. You know, that was that was very last minute. Only reason I was able to even do this is because, you know, I'm teleworking now and I have been since April. So there wasn't really, you know, there wasn't anything holding me back as far as like my physical location. So it was on a holiday weekend. So, you know, you took off Friday. You, we already got off Monday. Um, that's how I was able to go out there. But uh, I, unfortunately, you know, I, I couldn't even go out there with my wife. So it was just me. Got off the plane. It was just me. Dude, walk us through. Um Chris has never DNF'd. Never. Never. I wouldn't even say I've really come close, to be honest. No. Um, I want to say probably the closest that you came was this year in the um, Dustin 100. Yeah. When I was yeah. on the phone with you and you were just those were like some, squeaking out. Those are some weird cutoffs, though. They weren't front-loaded. They weren't back-loaded. It was like in the middle of the race, the cutoffs tightened. Zane, so. Zane did a pretty good job on that one. Yeah. Like, definitely. Um, but you finished that race and yeah. you had plenty of time to finish it. 105 miles. So, <laughs> that's crazy. So, this race, you're pushing through. It's 240 miles. Yep. This is tapping in now to a different yeah different change now like doing 100 mile races in under 24 hours or that's that's a big deal yeah um finishing under 30 hours for 100 miles how what do you do for 240 miles what i i mean obviously i didn't finish but i feel like i was well on my way until the sleep problem caught up to me because my legs felt good they could definitely handle the the load um physically i was holding up just fine um but i made sure like throughout the race and going into it 100 miles is not a big deal that's what i kept telling myself because normally in a hundred on a hundo the closer you get to the finish line like that tingling in the back of your mind starts to kick it i'm almost there mm -hmm. I'm, I'm 20 miles away mm -hmm. for this one it was like you just ran hundred miles and you haven't accomplished shit. Like I got to the aid station at mile, I think one Oh two. And it was like, I closed my eyes for five minutes. Didn't sleep any, you know, it was just more or less closing my right, eyes. Yeah, yeah. And then you got to roll out, you know, cause you know, the hundred, a hundred to 120 was the closest I would say to the Georgia death race on that course in Moab, uh, where it's straight up, you know? So okay. you've got, you got to rectify with yourself that I just ran a hundred miles and I am about to go over 8,000 feet of elevation straight up to the top of, uh, Mount Shea. And but you just have to accept that, you know, and then you get to the top of that mountain, you go straight down and you got a five mile climb up a road. So it was just constantly not resting on your laurels. It was always like, do not, feel satisfied with what you just did because of what's to come right it's gonna make this not look like anything now nah. yeah it's that's baby stuff that's what's even close to like you're still way in the early early miles yeah of yeah. this race. Like you couldn't say like oh i just ran 120 miles halfway there no, yeah you're, yeah you're just halfway dude you're and it's not a turnaround it's a full-on circle 
oval. Yeah. Some, just some jelly bean of death. So tell me, how far did we make it? I made it 153.1, and that takes you to the very base of the LaSalle Mountains. So I was, I was out in some bullshit, ugly, nasty-looking desert. I mean, Moab's a beautiful place. Don't get me wrong. It looks like you're on the moon or another planet. Uh-huh. Where I DNF just happened to be the ugliest part of the course, which is fitting, I guess. You <laughs> yep. know? I missed the cutoff by eight minutes, um, so I made it 107. Or I made it 73 hours into the race, and only on an hour of sleep. Uh, the the aid station prior at 140, the some guy let me sleep in his car. Uh, one of the medics. I had to sleep in the car for about about 50 minutes with the heat on, and uh, that was the only sleep I got the whole race, man. Dude. And, uh, I just I can't really describe it. I still don't really know like what happened to me um, internally. It just all of a sudden it became impossible to keep my eyes open. I was like sending the messages to my my legs you got to pick this up you cannot walk this entire 13 mile stretch to the next aid station so i was trying to jog and i would just like shut down like the batteries died and i'd have to lay down in the middle of this gravel nasty road covered in filth and just try to close my eyes and set my alarm for like 10 minutes you know at a time just to be able to continue to press forward and i couldn't do it man and i i knew i was getting close I could see the aid station. You know, these these sick fucks put the aid station up on the top of this mesa. So when you finally got to it, you got to like shoot straight up a road to get to the aid station. And the aid station cutoff times is not when you get there, it's when you leave. So I was going to have to just blow on through and walk right out, you know, and maybe sleep on the trail afterwards. Um, But I I just couldn't do it. You know, I I, I told myself, oh, yeah, baby, you see it. It's track and field mode. You're going to just sprint and make this cutoff time. And I hit the button that said go, and it just fizzled out. Nothing happened. Like, And I stared at my legs in disbelief. I, I felt betrayed. I was like, why aren't you running? Why aren't you sprinting? You cannot miss this eight, this cutoff time. And Aaron, I don't really know how to describe it. It's just like everything turned off, man. It's just the light switch. Yeah, just- and uh, I just kind of just walked up the hill and i got there and you know the sweeps were with me and they told the 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 aid station attendant like hey he just missed it we've been with him you know the last stretch here uh he knew he was up against it and um at least i think that's what they said you know i was (laughs) delirious man yeah and uh they just pulled out a cot for me and i i laid down put the blanket over my head and uh that was it yeah i don't remember you know, I was probably out cold for at least a couple hours so they could take me back to the start line. So you make it back to the start line, you go to the hotel room, mm-hmm. you ice up, or you do something with your feet because your feet yeah, my were feet jacked. Were, yeah, so other than the sleep, my other mistake was I should have brought two pairs of shoes, one that was a full <laughs> size bigger than what I normally wear, which is 10 and a half. Yeah, so yeah. I should have came out there with a size 11 and a half. Just because my feet start swelling, you start swelling when you're upright for that long, and you know that's the bad thing about putting off sleep is you're vertical, so all the blood is constantly going down to the bottom of your body, which is your feet, and um, when you don't see, even when I couldn't sleep 
I should have laid down and just got my my body horizontal. Yep. So that didn't happen. I think it was, I, I forget the temp term that the medic called it, but he was like, yeah, man, you've been on your feet upright for so long. That's why your feet are swelling like that. And uh, so I just had to lay in the bed at the hotel room and uh, let that go down to the point where I could get shoes back on. And, um, you know, that, that's what I did for that's that. lessons learned right for there, first, man. First day, yeah. So what... Uh, supposedly actually not supposedly i know because i've seen it you went back out and crewed some dude i paced someone you paced somebody yeah, yeah. So you they, went back out after after 153 miles yeah so i went back out the next day because there's a guy that i'd met out of moab that i i really just connected with uh he's a former army officer west point graduate uh, Florida State graduate, so we had that in common, and uh, we just talked, you know, really got to know one another, and, um, you know, the first thing I did when I woke up in the hotel room was, you know, obviously I was disappointed, um, but, you know, it's not about me, you know, you gotta, like, change your goals as, as, as a goal becomes unattainable, you move on to the next one, and the next one was, you know, I got to make sure that this dude's all right. Whether I drive my car, my rental car up there and just give him some food or, or caffeine or whatever. Or I was going to see how I felt. You know, I hadn't got out of the bed yet. But I, you know, I got on the phone. I looked at the tracker and there it is. He's still going, man. He's uh, he's towards the back of the pack. So he's up against cutoff times, but he's still fighting. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, I can't live with myself laying in this bed while this man is out there on the backside of the LaSalle mountains fighting through the middle of the night. So I told myself, I was like, Time get, to get some, up. get some fuel, find somebody that can drive me up there. And, um, I'm going to see if I can get this dude home. And, uh, that's exactly what I did. I went yeah. back out to porcupine rim, which is the very last aid station It's 16 and a half miles from the finish line. He had about, nine my nine hours to spare and we we made it in eight so we fought so, he, he told me straight up he was like dude if you wouldn't have came out there i would not have finished the race that's a good feeling man there's no point in sitting back what was me on on not finishing a race i mean when you sit yeah. back and you oh i'm such i feel so bad i shouldn't have done that yeah yeah look you just you got to brush that dust off man yeah. and that's awesome that you're able to push that dust and yeah. to go out there and fight for your friend so so david goggins who i'm assuming if you're listening to this you know at least who that is um he dnf'd last year yep. and uh one of his you know stories to get back and finish the race this year was he he went back out the next day after dnfing and finished the race so I kind of took solace in that. Like, yeah, there's still 70 miles that I left out there, you know, that I don't, I haven't seen that part of the course, but going back out the next day, you know, my feet are swollen to all hell. I had to wear my ons that don't even tie the shoelaces just to get them over my feet. And uh, to finish it with, with um, my friend, make sure he got to the finish line. Like, yeah, I felt good about that. So we get back, back in the gym, like the next day yep I, preparing I for the georgia death race so get a tire mindy gives you a, this uh training tire to be able to pull um it's full on dude i'm getting prepped 
Yeah. I'm not DNFing. Yeah. This and this is my comeback. This is my like I'm diversifying. I'm coming over diversity of this DNF. Um and then something else that you've been dealing with with trying to get into the um, reserves. The Navy Reserves. The Na- Navy Reserves. Chris has never been in the military. Um, he's raised military like myself, but never never got in. Um, was trying to get in as an officer. Yep. And then that got turned down. And then he was like, you know what? Once again, it, he just doesn't turn down for nothing. He says, I'm, I'll go in enlisted. And they're taking you to MEPS. You're supposed to be heading to MEPS. You're an hour out. This was two weeks before the Georgia death race. And, two. uh, yeah. The yeah. Tell, tell me how that happened. So like you get on out there, I mean, there's a hurricane blowing through right into New Orleans. You're heading over to New Orleans. You make it an hour out and they go, no, we're closed. Yep. Yeah. So turn back around, come back. Now we got to go out again the next week for MEPS. Heads on over there. When did you go over? Monday? I went over on Monday. Okay. So goes over there on Monday. I have no idea. I'm watching this all unfold. I have no idea that this is even happening. So walk me, walk us through that, uh, that week. You get out there to New Orleans for MEPS. Um, the election week. Yeah. Yeah. A lot going on, right? <laughs> A lot going on. Election week, we're about to find um, out who, uh, we think we're about to find out who is going to be president um, of our country for this term. And you're signing up to go in the reserves. So walk us through that week. So I get there. This is already my, you know, third visit to MEPS. You know, I was, I was there once a year ago as an officer candidate. I found out in September that I was not selected. So that was a, that was like a 20 month process just to be told no. So this is now like month 22 and uh, I've made the decision to enlist anyway uh, as a reservist. So I finally make it over to my third visit to MEPS. They put you up in a hotel room. Uh, You wake up at three o'clock in the morning to go over the next day and, and, uh, Luckily, I didn't have to redo the physical. It was just like a inspection, make sure I'm still alive, you know, still healthy. Still got all my teeth and all that shit. And uh, it goes to the point where um, you go to select your job, you know, um, after you take the ASVAB, which I hadn't done because it's not required. You know, my my educational background and degrees for officers you don't have to take the ASVAB but obviously going this route you do so I took the ASVAB I got a 92 solid highest one of the day um so I think I'm smooth sailing right you know and uh then they come out and say hey man you got all this stuff in your past that you need another waiver for it's like you know I got waivers to become an officer but now this guy is telling me for enlisted I got to redo the waivers and get approval um obviously I got a lot of I'm not saying I got skeletons in my closet because I don't really give a shit. You know, it's there. If anyone wants to know, it's right there. I mean, I don't hide anything. So I'm like, all right, you know, that's how long is that going to take? It was like, well, it's the end of the day. So not today. So at that point, I'm like, 
how many times is this going to get like jammed up and delayed? Um, I didn't go back to the hotel right away. Uh, I had to, you know, I went and saw my wife, saw some friends in New Orleans and, um, I kind of came to grips with it, calmed down, went back to the hotel for another night, another day of waking up at 3 AM. And, um, thankfully, you know, after sitting in the waiting room for two, two hours, they come out and say my waiver was approved. I can pick my job. It wasn't the job that I was hoping, but it ended up being the job that fit me the best. Um, once I knew more about it, get to use all three of my degrees, which is that's, that's important to me. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't want to be doing something that doesn't have anything relevant to me as a person, you know, because then I feel like I can give back to the Navy in a better, uh, more qualified capacity, you know, know what I'm doing, you know, don't require all this training because I already somewhat know about the subject. So I think it all worked out for everybody in the long run. Um, I swore in. Obviously, I didn't have my phone for any of this, so I had no idea that the election was still going on. So I felt good about that. I don't. I didn't know who the president was when I said I promised to obey the president of the United States. I didn't know who the president was, so it's like you got a clear conscience on that. Um, so I, I was I was happy with with how that all turned out, and um, it was just surreal. Like I said, two 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 years almost of doing this, and um, you know, you finally swear in and, and take that oath. See, that's, so you get sworn in, this is on Thursday, Thursday. <laughs> Thursday the death race is on Saturday. Yes. You guys drive the five hours back home. Yeah. Gets up, come pick me up. And now you're, you're launching, you're launching a product line. Yeah. Yeah. For right, another yeah. company. A band company that you work for, a little side hustle. Yeah. Um, as we're driving, you're uh, you got a cutoff time that you got to be able to hit right then for them to be able to throw yeah. out this launch. And I remember like it, you have I can watch in anticipation. Things are like weight off of his shoulders, weight off of his shoulders. But even. Um, Getting all the way up there to Blairsville, we're there. We're at um, Reese Heritage Farms. Made it there for the check-in. Made it there for the check-in. Breathe fresh air. Um, say what's up to Sean. The yeah, Rumble. Sean was there. That was cool. The, the yeah. race director is actually you know, out and about talking to people. I appreciated that. I think he just came off from uh, clearing, like cutting some more debris off of the trails yeah um but wake up the next morning get we get a good night's rest i, I mean i slept okay we, yeah, yeah, yeah i'd say that was probably the best night of sleep i got all week so finally get a good rest wake up how you feeling that morning it's tired <laughs> dude i remember you telling me the last time i think i saw you on the trail yeah that day um, coming up from Skeena Gap, you were coming up, I'm coming down, and you. I was like, I'm pumped, I'm amped, and I turned to you and I was like, dude, how are you feeling? And you're like, dude, I'm just tired, I'm tired. Now, Chris finishes, I'll just spoil that right there, but I don't, <laughs> so <laughs> I might have been spry at the moment, but I wasn't spry later on. 
Um, so dive in. We start out, I'll tell my little bit of version of how we started out because Sean gives a speech. We're in a, in the first wave, there's three waves shooting off every five minutes. Um, and then they gave an extra five minute buffer time to that uh, third wave um, to be able to finish. So the 24 hour time limit that was thrown for us was at 7.20 on Sunday a.m. So we take off at, I say it was 7.01. Yeah. Um, on my watch, we take off. There's no gun that goes off, no whistle. He just goes, all right, go. Yep. We, uh, I'm trying to recall his, um, I will not, I will not, and then die, die on the course or something, something like that. Well, I died on the course. So we take off over there at Reese Farm to head towards Vogel. And we start off running, but for maybe 100 yards. And then it shoots straight up. Get up, start running this other part of the trail that kind of winds around this grassy area in the woods. Um, pretty wide trail. Um, clipping at 10? Yeah, it was like 10 minute miles. 10 and a half. That wasn't the plan, was it? That was not the plan. That was not the plan. That so, wasn't anything close to the plan. <laughs> we're... I think we get about a mile and a half in. Chris goes, dude, dude, let's just, let's, let's, let's hike it from right here for a little bit. So, okay. All right. So game plan it back on up, walk over towards Vogel, and then we take off again. <laughs> and then we start running again. And I think, what, we were somewhere in the 11s? To, yeah. Like, we just... It couldn't keep under 13. We couldn't get over 13. Yeah. Um, I think I ran with you guys for a good part of five to eight miles. I was going to say, I think it was like eight miles until I noticed you weren't there anymore. We finally hit a spot. I don't know exactly where. The first aid station is 10 miles from the start. You had three and a half hours to get three there. Three and a half hours to get 10 miles. Um, we were doing pretty good, I felt like on time yeah. but i ended up having to hike that hike baby hike not big hike but aaron baby hike up these uh Cusa bald <laughs> that's the the highest point in the race right right away and i remember just going dude i'm, I'm hiking let's hike and chris doesn't turn around <laughs> and so i say again man all right dude i'm gonna hike no nothing dude, still I nothing i didn't hear shit so he's still he's still rocking which was great, which is fine, because in that race, I don't think you can't sit there and wait. You just have to keep trudging forward. And I mean, the shirt says to just run, walk, crawl to your death. Yeah. I mean, you're 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 pretty much doing that. Um, I saw you at mile ten at the aid station. As and I was leaving, you as you were leaving, in. I was coming in. I sure looked. I, I know I looked like a dog. You looked rough. I looked rough. I, I felt rough. I felt rough. I was like, "Whoo, dude, this is. This is gonna be a lot tougher than I thought." Yeah. You looked good. You were. You looked real fresh. Um, that was the last time I saw you until we made the turnaround. Yeah. But tell me, because I do recall hearing you on the trail. 
before I lost complete sight of you is I am amazing. I'm amazed on, on how I am actually making these climbs. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty close to those words right there. Yeah. To, yeah. To no, no. If, if you, if I'm not spot on, on if it. you watch the YouTube video, cause I had my GoPro on for a lot of it. Um, I have a YouTube video up. You can hear me say that. I, I watched it yesterday. It's like, I'm surprised at how fast I'm going this at this stage at this of the stage race. race. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, Kusa Bald is the highest point. So right away within the first 10 miles, you got to get that over the, over the hump, you know? And I was surprised And like, yeah, I got back from Moab and had this determination and, you know, will not fail no matter what mentality, but the concepts of both races are totally different. You know, you cannot look at distance and time the, the same. So I kind of surprised myself with how fast I was able to go uphill. Um, and I, I was pretty much constant. You can look at my Strava. It was even on the uphills in the later parts of the race, I was going at the same cliff as the beginning. That's and, crazy. You know, I just kind of looked at it as, as soon as I got on an uphill part, this is just doing burnouts at the gym. Boom. You know, burn it out. Get to the top. Then you run the downhill. If there was a portion that I felt like I could run, I ran it. I made myself run it no matter what. And you just do that and, and break it up by aid station. And, and that's how I was able to put some money in the bank and uh, come out. I think I averaged about an hour and a half buffer at each aid station until the very last one. So what was the elevation gain over there at Moab? Do you know? So for 240 miles, you would come out with 29,000. 29,000 over 240 miles. 240 miles. Now, this race ended up being... 66.6. Pierce Sean of uh, making sure death would find us. Um, elevation of over 20,000. I want to say he said it was 25,000 um, feet of vertical climb because it was an out and back course. We went down to we didn't go down to Skeena to start off with, and no, we hit like Skeena Gap awesome. on the way back. Um, and then at the finish, we took a different route, slightly, and, yeah, um, to get us. And then going back up Coastal Bald on the back side is tougher than the front side, dude. Going down it, going down because it going up takes forever. But going down it after you've done Ugh. 60 miles or whatever, it's... My that quads took, hurt, man, just dude, thinking about that it that right took now. forever. So my... That's when I started to lose a little bit of time was mm -hmm. just at the end, man, because my legs at that point... I mean, sure, everybody's, you know, you just kind of shot, you know. It's pitch black. So, so I mean, this race takes place, for those that don't know in north georgia mountains and if you've ever driven chattahoochee through the blue ridge mountain plains if you've ever driven through there you'll notice on how the ridges work and how you watch it just come down shoot straight back up this it's like a wild roller coaster ride yeah, yeah. dude i mean just one of those old wooden roller coasters 
that don't go upside down, but they just go up and down, up and down, up and down hard. And they yeah. call this one of the sections that we were running the dragon spine. The dragon spine. And obviously, if you've ever seen a dragon spine, you know it's up to a point and straight down the point. Yep. And it's it's rugged. So through aid station one, how you feeling? Like you you just we got five miles on the next one. Um, how's everything going? Like, I felt good, man. I felt real good. You know, I felt strong. I was happy with the time, pleasantly surprised. And like, yeah, I've done, I've done a lot of ultras. Very few of them. Once I'm like that far into the race, do I look down at my watch and say, perfect. You know, it's always like everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Like Mike Tyson says. <laughs> Not this time, though, man. Like, my plan, I exceeded my expectations the whole race. Dude, uh, so you make it in. We come over the drawbridge, uh, or not drawbridge, um, what do they call those? That suspension bridge over the river. Yeah. We've got another pitch straight up about maybe less than a mile. It's around Maybe that. it's around a mile. Yeah. Up to um, I can't for, I forget sapling gap. sapling gap to the turnaround. Now you get up there. I've seen pictures of of uh, you making that hike, and <laughs> my pictures look different than your pictures. But you look rough. And yeah. then when you get all the way up there, Sean's up there telling you what times you get in the aid station. Dude, I got up there like you know ten minutes before four maybe. Mm-hmm. And you. Left, I mean, I left at four. I live at 359. That's when I left out of there. And Sean's telling you what Sean made the mistake of saying that the aid station cut off for aid station number five. He gave us the aid station number four cutoff time, which you know was in 30 minutes. So everybody in there, there's like four other runners besides myself. We all look at each other in a panic. We're like, fuck, we got to get out of here now. And, you know, I, I pull up my phone because you had reception at that one. I looked up my um, my cutoff times that I had saved on my Google Photos. And I'm like, what is he talking about? Dude, this should have been 530. And so, I, dude, you're like, I mean, you've got money in the bank, though. You've had all this money in the bank yeah, and then the like, whole entire time. And then now you get told you've had like over an hour worth the time yeah and it's dwindled down to a half hour and that's exactly what how it happened in moab too i went from having like two hours to nothing seemingly like instantly dude so i'm like here we go again i felt good this entire damn race for 31 miles and then all of a sudden you told me surprise <laughs> you're fucked <laughs> Here, let me throw a little wrench into your uh, little your plan here yeah, that's your, going on your that's you're executing track. so hard. And, yeah, I remember you coming down. I'm I'm coming up, and I'm just, at this time now, I'm ready to be up at the top. So many people, you're almost there. Oh, you're almost there. It's right there. I hate that, man. Dude, I hate that I hate shit, the dude. signs that tell me you're right here. Like, you're at the end. No, motherfucker. I'm not at the Tell end. me the exact distance or don't tell me anything at all. So when I finally get to Chris, I'm not asking anybody how much longer till I get to Chris. I see Chris. 
I ask him one question. How much further? About a quarter, not even, a quarter of a mile up there. And you're freaking out <laughs> telling me, dude, Sean's out there telling everybody the cutoff's at 430. And I just remember going, I don't fucking care. <laughs> it, if it is, I'm going to be in and out before then. Um, I got up there at 415. And I was out by 420. And I, but I knew something Chris didn't know. I knew getting back to Bravo, you had to be out of Bravo at 7. So we had three hours yeah. to be back five miles. And Chris didn't know that. Chris, all he knew was, shit, my time's dwindled down to yeah. 30 minutes. Um, I, I can't do now what I planned on doing. Um, I think you were looking to walk or something. Yeah, instead, um, of, instead of running the whole damn time. I ran a 13-minute mile after I saw you. <laughs> so... That was my secret that I, like, I didn't care. Like, fine, whatever. Kick me out of here before 4.30. Not a big deal. I've got two and a half hours to make it five miles to me, I, which I just did in an hour um, right now. Like, just over an hour, 20 minutes, I believe. So, but Chris, you're in pure panic mode. Yeah. Um, I called my wife. <laughs> So to double check this shit, she's panicking. She's down there. She's doing all sorts of crazy stuff, trying to get the right information so he can have the right information going into the next eight. And this is all like in the back of my mind that Sean is kind of like the clown prince sometimes of fucking with runners. So I had no idea. Maybe he said that just to mess with me. I have no idea, you know. And in the middle of an ultra, yeah, you're through thirty-five miles. And not just regular, like flat 35 miles. We've been in this race for, I mean, I remember getting through the 26 mile area in seven hours and being like, dude, I just ran a marathon in seven hours. Yeah, yeah, I said the same thing. (laughs) Like, I always say that though. I'm like, well, I just ran the slowest marathon of all time. (laughs) Like, dude, amazing. So brutally, mentally, he's like, it's messed with your with your chi here dude like this is you're living on a high and now it's like it's it's cut off yeah um how were your feelings when you got to to bravo instantly better because that dude told me what the real cutoff was and uh he was like all right well at least i ran fast to get here and uh i have even more time now you know so i i sat down and changed my socks and put lube on my feet Sweet. Felt like I had clouds on the bottom of my feet. Instantly nice. felt better. And that's perfect. Especially because you're now heading to Skeena. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Skeena's fun to go down. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not fun to come yeah. back up. Um, tell me, at, at that aid station at Bravo... How, what was the what was the vibe like? What was going on over there for you when you came in? How how was the vibe over there? I grabbed a seat real quick. You were changing. Um, were runners like coming in and out? 
You have talking about dropping. Bravo or Skeena? Uh, Bravo. 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 No one came in. You know, I figured I'd I'd change my socks, and I was hoping that you would catch up. Yep. So uh, I no, took. I fucking had a tree. Yeah. I, t- I took my time. Um, got my headlamp out because it's starting to get dark. Yep. Made sure I ate plenty of food, and like no one was in a rush to get out of there. Like the same people that I was with at Sapling, they were at Bravo too. So we all kind of set out at the same time, um, which was good. You know, there's more, more headlamps, the better on a trail like that. So you kind of saw like the, the sun start to set and, uh, between the trees and you go straight, straight back up, you know, heading on the, I guess that's Benton McKay trail. Did you get to catch that opening again before the sun went down? You know, where, uh, that dude was set up to take that picture over that, that valley. No, no. Like I wasn't like, on that. Um, at least I don't think so. I I think that was the one thing I was disappointed in. Yeah, yeah. Like coming back that I wasn't going to be able to see that during sunset. Yeah. Um, we got dark. It got dark quick. It got dark quick. Yeah. It definitely did. All right, continue on. Sorry. So, so I made it back to that intersection of, uh, I guess that's Duncan Ridge and Benton McKay. Yep. And you turn left to go down to Skeena, which... You know, that's that's a big part of the Cruel Jewel course uh, where you get on the dragon spine. Um, yeah, and it's, it's just like the same thing as Kusa Bald. When you're going down it, you're like, I'm going to have to come back up. <laughs> that's going to suck. You're seeing a lot of runners. Like when I went up to Sapling at the turnaround, there's runners coming down, obviously, that are ahead of me. They all looked like they were in good spirits. Yep. Hey, they have ramen noodles. You know, you're, you're almost there. Typical bullshit. You're going down to Skeena, and they're coming up, and they look like they got hit by a car, man. You know, everyone looked like shit. Um, I saw Salamander, which, you know, I, I, I love Salamanders. You know, I, I, I would call myself a Salamander enthusiast, even though I've never seen one in the wild except on the dragon spine. So there so was on the dragon spine. Yeah, yeah, a slimy Salamander, and uh, I knew that was a good sign. Um I, I pepped up instantly, um, which was, I feel like that was a big deal to come into Skeena in such high spirits because that was a grinder of an aid station and that there was at least five people that dropped out of the race while I was sitting there in only a 10-minute stretch. Um, There's people bonking out, um, people saying that if there was a, a shuttle there, they'd drop out. Like, there's one dude, the only reason he left that aid station is because he figured he could get a, a ride to come pick him up at the next one. And that's what he ended up doing. So it was just like, like I said, man, to be feeling good while everyone else is feeling so, like, rough, I think was like, man, I should be thankful for how, you know, I've ran this race so far. And to get to this point, you know, feeling feeling good is, that's something I should, like, count my blessings. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, that... I remember being down there also and having like watching some people wanting to drop and as good as the vibe was there. It was like a party. It was. Yeah. The, but it was a the bad vibe too. I, I got a, like an eerie, this is not the station I need to be at because there is too much negative um, runners yeah, um, wanting of- to like just, they're done. They're, they're, I, I guess it was the worrisome of what caught me later on, but uh, to come back on out. So, um, 
So now you're you're flying through. You're making it back on up. I see you. Uh, you look good, even though you said like I mean you're just tired. Yeah. But uh, you looked a lot better than that girl did that we were running with earlier, man. <laughs> oh, she yeah. looked like death eating a cracker. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you make it back up to uh, fish. Yep. Um, going to Mulkey. And that's from fish to mulkies, only two and a half. How'd you navigate through mulkie? Um, yeah, that was just like the other ones. It all kind of blurred together at that point. There was definitely, you know, the sense that I was going straight down and straight back up really frequently yeah. compared to the rest of the course, which yep. is that's why that aid, that that stretch is only two and a half miles yeah. because it's chewing you up. And they know it, so they know they can't, you know, put it too much further away. Um, you know, Fish Gap, same with Skeena and some of the other ones. Like, I've been there before doing Cruel Jewel, mm -hmm. so I kind of, I knew what to expect. It came back, and you're headed back the straight, same direction towards the finish line as Cruel Jewel. So, I've been there in the middle of the night feeling like shit. I know what to expect at that point. I've seen the whole course at that point. So mentally, there's no more surprises, and um, you just had to, like, shut off, you know, anything that's distracting you at that point. You know, I just... So you get up, kiss a bald, up and over. Is that where you came off the trail? So, yes, yeah. So that last 10-mile stretch... I know I'm pretty much home free, you know, 10 miles. The it's time. no more, like... There's no more cutoff times. It's just the finish line. Yeah. So I, w I was feeling pretty good, you know. Um, I made it up Cusabald, no problem at all, man. But that downhill, <laughs> dude, it lasts forever. Forever. There's, like, supposed to be a water drop right at six, six and a half. I got to six and a half, and let me tell you, this damn thing was not at six <laughs> and a half. And, uh, you know, I'm... I'm all of a sudden getting that sense of anxiety that I'm not where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just that creeping death, you know, into the back of your mind. And um, then my headlamp starts to dim out. And stupid me, I didn't bring a backup headlamp. I didn't bring a backup battery. I didn't bring spare AAA batteries to use in case the, the other one died. And it's just getting darker and darker. There was a girl that came through with a really, really bright light. And thankfully, that was at an intersection that I was confused at. You know, it was just like there's so many different ways to go. And my headlamp's not bright enough to pick up the flags. So I just stood there, you know, wasting time until this girl got down off the hill, came through. And there it was. It was like instantly apparent where I was supposed to go. And like, I was like, all right, I'm going to try to stick with her. But, um, it's really weird, like, the people I saw that final stretch of 10 miles, like, how good they would feel, and then I would catch up to them, and they were feeling really rough. So she shot off. I couldn't keep up, you know. We went back uphill a little, and um, I just had to walk, man. Like, it was all just starting to catch up to me. Uh -huh. So there goes her light, and pretty soon, it's like, all of a sudden, I'm in the dark again. <laughs> and um, we got down back by the, this creek, where the water is and uh you know you could hear it can't see it but you could hear it yeah. and all of a sudden i realized dude this this trail is a lot more rugged than the coosa backcountry one that i'm supposed to be on 
sure enough, I fire. There's an app called Gaia where you can load GPX files. I would highly recommend you do that. I got it from Moab. It worked beautifully how far you can zoom in and see like how far off trail you are. So I looked at that and sure as shit, I am not on the trail anymore. And I just had to hold it up like a <laughs> compass and walk in because there's like a lag. So if I take five steps, it takes five seconds before it, it shows that I've taken any steps at all. So it's taken me a little while to get oriented and I just wander around blazing a trail through the brush like stepping over bushes and all kinds of shit until finally, you know, it's apparent that I'm back on the trail, thankfully. And like this whole time, you know, my heart's beating a million miles an hour. It's about to explode out of my chest. I'm so worried. Time is slipping away. Time is just of the essence. Yeah. And dude, as soon as I got back onto that trail, I started running. And, you know, I was like, just run to each flag, each pink flag. That's, that's your marker you shoot for. And I did that you know, for probably half a mile. And then sure enough, I see a headlamp ahead. It's that girl. And I booked it until I caught up to her. And I'm like, look, I, I cannot leave your side until we get close to the finish line. Cause this shit, this thing is about to die. I could barely see with it. And she was feeling pretty rough. So she was walking at that point. And, um, I felt like I probably was feeling better than she was, you know, but thankfully she, she had a light that was working and we we got to the we finally got to the water drop. It definitely was not at six and a half. So Sean, everything was accurate until that last <laughs> yeah. one. There was no one there. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure why they said there was a time cut off there because there was no one there to check it. I didn't even stop. You know, I was like, "Fuck it, I don't care if I run out of water at this point." You're three miles from the finish line. So you cross the road, go on that rocky path. It was really the rockiest part of the path as far as like what you could stub your toe on and kick. Um, back into Vogel. So there you know, you know you're almost at the end. It takes you up a slightly different route uh, uh, along the lake. And um, we just kind of stuck together, got back up to that grassy knoll that goes up the hill. And um, I tried running because I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to finish under 23 hours. I'm going to get that golden yeah. ticket, you know, lottery, whatever, raffle into Western states. But dude, I got so far ahead of that girl. I couldn't see anymore. anymore. It's like, and that's like a <laughs> wide part of trail. So it's like you, you're looking with a dim headlamp. There's nothing. There's no walls. There's no trees right up on you with a marker. And um, you know, I, I I just had to sit there. I literally sat there on the trail waiting for this girl to catch back up to me, so I could use her headlamp to go the last half mile. We weren't even half a mile. It was like a quarter mile. Oh, dude. Back up. Finally, you start seeing and hearing the music. Uh, people could see your headlamp or probably hers, not mine. <laughs> and they start ringing the cowbell and there's that straight shot down the pavement, um, to, to Reese farm. So you, you feel like your quads are about to ooze out of your kneecaps, explode out or whatever, as you jog down the, the paved path into the parking lot and, and then you finish, you know, At this time I'm sure you just don't feel nothing. You don't feel no, anything. I actually jumped and touched the uh, finish, uh, the archway thing. So yeah. that's how I finished the race. And um, what's the time? Twenty three hours and two minutes. Twenty three oh two. To be able to like what he was talking about the uh, the lottery. This is a this wasn't a golden ticket. Um, first uh, place, uh, first and second place, male female. Typically, this is a golden ticket race to get into. 
um, Western states, but um, this year was wiped away from it. Um, but they still had the lottery. If you finish under 23 hours, um, you get into the lottery um, for the Western states. And uh, the cutoff time completely for the race is under 24. So the big goal was to finish under 24. Um, but just that headlamp, man. It sounds yeah. like that headlamp just got you um, to not be able to squeak in underneath the 23 hours. But, um, dude, what a journey to get there and everything. What, what, real quick, if you could sum it up, what can, what, what drives you to be able to get into this dark spot to be able to push through these particular issues? Um, I've described an ultra run like a year, like years of diversity all jumbled down into pretty much just hours of you have to push and get through everything just to get to that finish line. It hurts. Um, it hurts. And mentally, it breaks you completely. What what drives you to be able to get there and get out of those situations? What 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 makes Chris do that? If you could summarize that up. Man, just running with ghosts. You're never running alone. You always got like this it's like another being out there on the trail just manifesting itself into anxiety, fear, everything that's gone wrong in your adult life that you've overcome to get to that point. And when you look at it that way, there's certain things that are far, far worse than your legs hurting or your feet hurting. You know, there's, I'm sure a lot of ultra runners would say that there, there's, there's things that have happened in their lives that have driven them to embrace this challenging, brutal, difficult sport, and they know it's going to hurt. Like, that's accepted. It's kind of like all my tattoos. Which one hurt the most? Well, they all fucking hurt, you know? Every, every ultra I've ever done is hurt, you know? But there's something about a race that has a high DNF rate, like the Georgia death race that really upped the anxiety. You know, I keep saying that word anxiety. It's because nothing is given. Something can go wrong at any point And then you're, you're dead out there on the trail. And, you know, it lived up to its, its billing as this notorious race that no one, you know, or no, no normal person can really attempt and, and finish. And, I, I get it, you know. So to be able to to go through everything that led me to that point, that point in my life, right there, right right at that time, um, I just used every lesson I've ever learned and and leaned on to to never allow myself to believe I wasn't going to finish. You know, it was always stick to this this one track mindset and don't allow you know, yourself to even consider failing. Cause I, I just failed for the first time a month, a month prior. And, um, you know, I just was like at all costs, that's not going to happen this time. And I guess the closer, probably the last mile of the Georgia death race, when it really started to sink in that I was going to do it. I mean, it's still something that hasn't really hit me and I've come to grips with, but you know, it's, it's an awesome, awesome uh, journey 
the accomplishment is great, man, but the journey to get to the where you could even fathom finishing it, that's really what's special and stands out to me that I probably will, I'll never forget. Definitely, dude. Definitely. Well, brother, I'm super stoked that you finished that race. Um, I'm super stoked you got into all these races uh, to be able to. I was, I was stoked that I got to go with you. Um, I was one of the lucky, unlucky, 